It's all change in Downing Street as Boris Johnson arrives with a clown car overloaded with impossible promises and a cast of oddballs ready to prove that the lunatics really have taken over the asylum. Hello, Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading this latest podcast. What a funny few days we have had. Temperatures soaring to the high 30s, thunder and lightning rolling over Westminster in the hours before we greeted Prime Minister Boris Johnson. That's going to take some getting used to, isn't it? Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The man who, since childhood, has wanted to be world king, has finally achieved his ambition. Now we are all his playthings. After promising seemingly impossible things on Brexit during the leadership campaign, he arrived in Downing Street and repeated those same impossible promises. Brexit by the end of October with a new deal, or leaving with no deal, even though Parliament appears determined to stop that from happening. Then, having blathered on for around 15 minutes, he set about the most brutal government shake-up in 50 years. He promised to unite the country at four o'clock on Wednesday afternoon and then at five o'clock set about getting rid of anybody who'd ever said anything nasty about him. To survive in Boris Johnson's government, you need not only to be a committed Brexiteer, you also need to be a big fan of Boris Johnson or at least able to put on a convincing act. What unites the more than dozen people who've been kicked out is that at some stage they have pointed out publicly that the new emperor is not wearing any clothes. Lots to talk about as we bring in Robert Meekin now. Um, Robert, a couple of weeks ago in a newspaper interview, Boris Johnson said that his favourite film was the bit at the end of The Godfather where everybody gets killed. And we should probably have taken that as a more serious statement of intent given what happened in the first three hours of his premiership this brutal slaying of anybody who'd ever said anything mean about him yes he, he he's he's clearly been harboring plenty of grudges for some time i have to say I, i'm not entirely surprised because we also know that, that boris was promising jobs to all and sundry so it would have been rather odd if some of the said people were now seeing being promoted had in fact somehow remained on the back benches so yes he's honoring a lot of promises but also dishing out a bit of revenge as well on the people who, as you say, have been have been less than uh, complimentary about him. And of course, there were those announcing their resignations, you know, in time just before they were actually fired. There was plenty of people who did that to save themselves the indignity of being guillotined. I mean, I've lost count at this stage of how many people. Let, let's let's see how many we can remember. Top of the list, Jeremy Hunt. I mean, we thought a few days ago that the crisis in the Gulf, the the standoff with Iran over these oil tankers would probably save Jeremy Hunt because if you're coming into government in this period of uncertainty and shaking up all these jobs while also dealing with a major international incident, don't you need at least one element of continuity? But apparently Johnson offered Hunt a demotion to Defence Secretary, which he turned down. And, and the phrase that we heard many, many times through Wednesday afternoon, Mr Hunt was returning to the back benches as a way of trying to demonstrate your desire to unify a party, sacking the person who stood against you for the leadership is a curious opening move. They're just 
weren't enough top jobs going around just because of who Boris uh, had promised things to. I mean, he, he, he was clearly going to give a senior role to Dominic Raab. Sajid Javid was clearly in the mix as well. So there were, to put it frankly, when it came to the absolute top, top cabinet posts, I think they were all gobbled up. The suggestion was that Jeremy Hunt was offered the gentle demotion, or steep demotion, depending how you look on it, of uh, becoming uh, Defence Secretary, a job he considered beneath him, or a job, a job he certainly, it seems, he turned down. So it does seem that Hunt was given the option to be in the cabinet, albeit in a more middle-ranking role, and didn't want it, and therefore he's fallen. What the hell did Liam Fox do? You can't get more Brexity than Liam Fox. And then you dig around a bit and you discover that well, Liam Fox's sin was that he pointed out that when Boris Johnson kept saying that we can leave without a deal and rely on this GATT Article 24 that, that he's always banging on about as a way of avoiding tariffs, Liam Fox made the fatal error of saying that's actually rubbish. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to say, "I'm awfully sorry," but Boris Johnson's talking absolute gibberish. And the problem is, he talks gibberish quite a lot. Those two have got a bit of history as well. There was the old turf war, I believe, when Boris was foreign secretary uh, as well. So that that goes back some way. I don't. I don't. I don't think Fox has been all that quiet about how how he views Boris as an operator. So not 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 a great surprise that, that Liam Fox has uh, has fallen on his sword. I mean, he's had he's he's had a reasonably long innings, but I think he he saw the writing on the wall when when he knew that Boris was going to be the next prime minister and I think I don't think he'd have expected to remain or frankly would have wanted to be in that team. You know, the list goes on. James Brokenshire goes from housing, Damien Hines from education, David Mendel in Scotland, Greg Clark from business, Mel Stride who is leader of the house for nine weeks. Uh, Jeremy Wright, culture secretary, he's gone. Caroline Noakes only found out she was losing her job by looking at Twitter. Look, nobody's going to mourn the passing of Chris Grayling as transport secretary. No one's going to mourn the departure of Karen Bradley as Northern Ireland secretary. She appeared to know less about Northern Ireland than the average passing pigeon. But Penny Morden, there was a surprise, a committed Brexiteer 85 days as Defence Secretary, a job she should probably have been given two years ago. But she backed Jeremy Hunt, so she's out. It's a curious one, that. You, as, as you say, you'd have thought that Penny Mordaunt had all the right credentials, and she looked very comfortable in her own skin in that role. It, it looked the right sort of job for her. So I think yeah, that certainly counts, as I say, as one of the more surprising developments. I mean, going forward, if you were Penny Mordaunt, as disappointed as you might be to have been... It seems sacked without any explanation after less than three months in that job. You are out of a government that could run into all sorts of difficulties for reasons we'll get into a little bit later on. Should there be another leadership election in, say, a year's time, you are a relatively clean skin. Indeed. And look, there's there's a lot of people who will now feel it's time to keep that powder dry because God only knows where we're going to be by the end of October and there could be there could be some very prominent people uh, popping up again saying I told you so by that stage. Right now, you know, the, the 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 obsession with Team Boris is is to, has has been to get a a new fresh group of front benches together. That Theresa May's team was considered grey, it was considered stale and dithering, and that they wanted a, a new brush coming in with fresh faces, and that's precisely what he's done. That's what this has been about. It is giving the impression of significant change, of turning the page over. If he'd just made, you know, 30% change in the Cabinet, it would have been lambasted across the media, across the Conservative Party, by many in the country. So I, I, I felt he, he really did have to 
just by what he has stood for in, in, in recent months, in recent years. He, he, had, he had to be seen to be being dramatic, being bold. He has a lot of fairly influential and you know, good operators who are enemies not very far away in that party who are waiting for him to fall in these coming months. Well, Boris Johnson did promise to leap out of the starting blocks and nobody can accuse him of not doing that. Within a few hours of arriving at number 10, he not only got rid of about a dozen ministers, not mentioning the people like Philip Hammond, Rory Stewart, David Liddington, who jumped before they were pushed. Uh, he'd appointed a swathe of new ministers as well. We'll get on to those, those new ministers in a minute, because first, Robert, in many ways, the most significant appointment is someone who's not an MP, who's not been appointed to a cabinet role. It's this senior advisor, uh, Dominic Cummings, who basically ran the Leave campaign, who was held in contempt of Parliament because he ignored a summons to appear before a Commons committee, who led the Vote Leave campaign, which was found to have broken electoral law, and who David Cameron, all right, not necessarily the world's best judge of character, described as a career psychopath. Now, that's a very clear statement of intent. Before you look at the very Brexity makeup of the cabinet, the fact that you've appointed Dominic Cummings as a senior advisor in your government is a big middle finger to anybody who is not a pure believer in the project. And I think actually that's Boris's way of also just reminding anyone who might be concerned on that side of the Conservative Party that he 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 he, he still is very is very much in that camp. Boris pitched his entire political career on joining that Leave campaign of of which of course Cummings was running. And so I, I just think in this instance, it, it, it seems a however, however controversial it may be to people on the outside. It's again, it's a natural move on Boris's part to say that, you know, that I am with these people. They're, they're the people who stood with me. They're the people I stood with during that controversial referendum campaign. He's going to have no you know, hesitation now in, in falling in with such people. They're, they're, they're the same people who've, who you could argue have got him to this position in the first place. He's not going to abandon them now. It is very much a vote leave cabinet. Dominic Raab is the new foreign secretary with all that top level government experience that he brings to the role. I mean, clearly the man to be our most senior diplomat, clearly the man to solve the crisis with Iran with his, I don't know, how long did he last as Brexit secretary? Eight months? I think Dominic Raab played it uh, uh, pretty smart. I mean, I, 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 I doubt... Um... He, he ever really considered himself to be the likely to be the next Tory leader when he stood for the leadership, but he was positioning himself, as it turns out, reasonably well. You know, he he would see he he tried to out Boris Boris, as people were saying at the time, in terms of his Brexit uh, credentials. It was he, after all, if you remember the whole proroguing Parliament phrase, a phrase many people hadn't heard since about sixteen twenty nine. That was it was Dominic Raab who really lit that fuse initially. If you're going to be cynical about it, I think he's probably played it pretty well. He fell in with tightly on Boris's shoulder and he's been rewarded for it. I mean, one of the past performers as Foreign Secretary he'll be compared against is Boris Johnson. So to be fair, the bar's been set relatively low. Uh, Sajid Javid becoming Chancellor, I mean, that's that's the least surprising thing of the day, isn't it, really? He's basically been begging for that job for the last month. He'd been in a sort of competition with Liz Truss for it. She gets international trade. So I presume that's a lot more time for her to chase down those pork markets she's always talking about. 
Saji Javid, again, it, it, similar to, to Raab, I think he came into the contest thinking that this is about positioning myself for the next big cabinet job rather than necessarily being Tory leader. I think it would have taken a fairly surprising sequence of events, you know, namely, of course, Boris Johnson going up in flames for Saji to have been our next prime minister. But again, he was always very, very careful uh, not, not to distance himself too much from Boris. He was all, always very, very courteous of Boris Johnson during his own brief bid for the top job. And again, as, as, as you say, I think the, the job of Chancellor was the one he always had his eye on. So he's played the game pretty well. But what I'm surprised by, I suppose, is Priti Patel becoming Home Secretary. I mean, this is the, the minister who had to quit for launching an unauthorised freelance diplomacy operation while on holiday. This is someone who suggested that the UK should threaten Ireland with food shortages in order to gain leverage in Brexit negotiations and only eight years ago was a supporter of the death penalty. Again, a pretty hard-line choice for Home Secretary. She's known, obviously, to be uh, close to... Boris, but it is that that was more of the left field choice. Let's be honest. I mean, none, none of us are surprised by Rob, Rob and Sajid Javid uh, being promoted in such fashion. But Priti Patel, I, yeah, not everyone saw that one coming. Um, but I, th I think that that represents Boris's anxiety also to to want new fresh faces in that cabinet alongside those you know those, those more well known figures. He, he's he's keen not to be seen simply. As, as, a, as, a, as a traditionalist, he wanted to throw in a few surprises. And I think, crucially, he trusts Priti Patel's instincts as a politician, however much we might debate that on the outside. Uh, so, yeah, but that was, I think, you'd be fair to say, one of the more interesting developments of the day. You have to feel sorry on some level for Matt Hancock. There are few people who have debased themselves more than Matt Hancock has in the last few weeks as he has basically crawled on his hands and knees towards Boris Johnson like a devoted lapdog, praising and welcoming everything that Johnson said, the desperate public pleading for a promotion. And what's it won him? He remains health secretary. He's still there, but he's staying exactly where he is. He's understandably uh, been, the, been the subject of uh, a great degree of, of mockery in recent weeks, if, if, if we could look uh, as far back as the the original lineup for the Troy leadership contest, Matt Hancock actually presented himself. I I felt reasonably well. It wasn't the most remarkable, charismatic of figures, but he seemed a, a relatively modern, amiable type of, of, of operator. But then it was interesting. But then when when the when the pressure was on, he very very quickly uh, leapt over and clambered on to the vessel that was Boris. I think it'd be polite to say he, he he's he's clearly proved himself to be one of the uh, uh, politics survivors. O originally he was a, a mini me to George Osborne, and that was sort of the road he was headed down. And when when and those long ago, long ago days, and we thought, well, George Osborne could be the man to be next prime minister. Hancock was always on his right hand side. More recently, of course, he, he's seen the direction of travel and he's clung on to it in the form of Boris. So, again, I keep on going on about people playing games. But again, I, th I think staying where he is, I think he'll be relatively pleased that that, that, that's, uh, that was uh, mission accomplished for him. I don't think he was expecting to be Chancellor of the Exchequer this time. And, and Private Pike is back. Gavin Williamson is the Education Secretary. You know, after several weeks in the wilderness after it was widely believed that he leaked 
sensitive information from a National Security Council meeting. This is not apparently something to be punished in the era of Boris Johnson. Now Gavin Williamson is in charge of your kids' schools. On the outside, uh, to put it politely, he is not not considered the most appealing of figures. But I think in terms of understanding the nuts and bolts of the Tory party and the skullduggery that goes on behind closed doors, Williamson is one of the main players presently. When Theresa May, in a desperate attempt to show some sort of authority, um, axed him, he again, he wasted little time, you know, pulling the rug from under her further and again attaching himself to Boris Johnson. There is a classic, old-fashioned Machiavellian survivor. And and Michael Gove gets this weird job, Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster. It's technically a senior role, but he doesn't actually have a specific portfolio. Now, this is fascinating because it was Gove that did for Johnson's hopes of becoming Prime Minister three years ago. Gove was pretty brutal in the time that he was hanging around in this Tory leadership campaign about Boris Johnson. But Johnson's kept him when he's got rid of other people, seemingly for just giving him a funny look in a corridor. But Gove has remained. And I wonder if that idea of giving Michael Gove this kind of roving minister without portfolio kind of job is that the one thing that Gove's very, very good at, he's very, very good in the House of Commons. He's very forensic. He's very good in debates. And while Boris Johnson might be, you know, an amusing performer, Gove's got more grasp of detail. Is he going to be Boris Johnson's firefighter? Is he going to go in and put out the fires the prime minister starts? I think it's exactly what he's going to do. Um, as Boris himself well knows, it's better to have Michael Gove on side. He can cause you a great deal of problems. He's one of the best performers in Parliament. I think he, you're going to hear Michael Gove's voice all over the airwaves. I think he is, he's, he is, he is going to be, I, I think, often the public voice of this administration. I think it's a role he'll revel in. It's a role that suits him. I'm sure Gove's ego would prefer him to be Foreign Secretary. But uh, I, I think if, you, if you're team Boris right now, you've got Michael Gove exactly where you want him. I think he can be a potent force for Boris, despite the, the bad blood of recent years. I, th- I, think, I think it's a sound appointment. Well, after the ceremony surrounding the transfer of power, you might have thought this was finally the time that we'd learn more details of Boris Johnson's plan you know how he actually intends to deliver brexit by the end of october in fewer than a hundred days but what we actually got when the new prime minister arrived in downing street was the same old nonsense we got the usual entertaining gosh golly cripe stuff about doomsayers and gloomsters the people who bet against britain are going to lose their shirts apparently this is again this is all very entertaining But where's the plan? The Boris Johnson plan for Brexit, it seems to be the Pinocchio plan. You wish hard enough, he could turn into a real boy. If Boris Johnson wishes hard enough, Brexit will miraculously be a success. What his allies will argue now is that, yeah, Boris Johnson, we all know, is not a renowned details man. What he is, he's, he's, people are describing him more as the chairman of the board. He's the front man. We're going to have to get used to Boris with all his you know, trademark uh, broad brushstrokes coming forward every day, making all manner of noises. 
and, and us all wondering what the hell's going on underneath. How is he justifying this? What Boris's strength has been in the past, and we're talking about when he was London mayor, he's been capable of getting a team underneath him who are working frantically to try and somehow carve out something that comes close to resembling the vision that Boris is so colourfully espousing above. Now, we can argue that that's going to prove to be a load of old tosh, that Boris is going to make all sorts of noise, and by October the 31st, the rope's going to be around his neck, so he'll be in all manner of, of, of mess. But what his supporters believe right now is that Boris's maverick personality, that force of nature, he can be the front man, he can give it some, to put it bluntly, while those underneath will work 24 hours a day trying to deliver some sort of vision, trying to shift the emphasis, trying to somehow persuade our neighbours in Brussels to somehow shift their, their current stance. And they believe a combination of Boris's force of personality, his ability to choose able, determined, resourceful people underneath him to actually do the dog work will be the combination that somehow gets us over this Brexit line. You and I now can easily say that's likely to be a load of old rubbish. Boris is going to be in all manner of problems by the autumn. But that's what they're presently believing. If you look at his last column in The Telegraph before he had to give it up, along with the quarter of a million pound fee that he once dismissed as chicken feed, the subject was a sort of a schoolboy-style retelling of the moon landing. Sort of core, in it marvellous kind of thing, which he used as a parable for Brexit. And he said, you know, Brexit's a lot like the moon landing. Everyone said the moon landing couldn't be done. Everyone said we couldn't possibly land on the moon. And all it took was a little bit of self-belief and a can-do spirit. The thing is, Boris... What it took to put three people on the moon for two hours was hundreds of thousands of people, experts in their field, working for a decade with a plan, thinking, learning from mistakes. They didn't just show up the day before gibbering on about the need for a can-do spirit and strapping Neil Armstrong into a giant catapult. And it just seems to sum up the Johnson premiership. Beneath the bluster, there isn't a plan. You can get away with being this glib in the pages of the Daily Telegraph. You can get away with it when you're lobbing grenades from the back benches. But can you get away with this when you're prime minister? It's essentially the same principle of being in opposition. And Boris has essentially been his own opposition party for some time to Theresa May. And when in opposition, what do the best opposition parties really do? Most effective, shall I say, opposition parties do. They promise all manner of things. They criticise ruthlessly what the current administration is doing. And when it comes to the actual detail, they try and get away with giving you as little as possible. That, that's, that's the recent history of British politics, if you look at the way opposition parties have behaved. And I think Boris is, is, is basically has adopted a similar strategy with his own you know, trademark, questionable cultural analogies. Finally, it's, it's worth pausing to consider how little has changed for all of the dramatic change we've had this week. The maths in Parliament haven't changed. Boris Johnson's majority probably will fall to one after the Brecon and Ratner by-election uh, next week. Among his own MPs are these hardcore of Brexit ultras. He has courted them by making these promises that he may not be able to keep. On the other side of the fence, there is a core of Remainer Tory MPs, now bolstered by the likes of people like Philip Hammond, who may be willing to bring down a no-deal-bound Boris Johnson-led 
government. Now, you have said, Robert, several times on this podcast that you think that Boris's secret plan is what he really wants is an election. And he kept talking about how he won in Labour's backyard in London two mayoral elections. He's the man to beat Jeremy Corbyn. And changing the maths in Parliament is probably the only way that you can achieve any of the things that he's promising. It, it just seems, feels literally impossible to work out a scenario where he can get the numbers in Parliament presently. You know, let's see if he, he, if he can prove us wrong. He, he assures us he can uh, do that. But it just looks at the, 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 the makeup of Parliament at the moment and the fact that su- such an inflammatory figure as Boris is now thrown into the mix as Prime Minister just makes it very difficult to comprehend how our current parliament, parliamentary system can allow him to get his way. I'd also say, alongside that, that we Parliament has to take some responsibility as well. Uh, we, 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 all, we all sort of, you know, shriek in horror when people talk about proroguing Parliament. Of course we do. At the same time, there has been a lot of navel-gazing in the House of Commons. It's been the most dispiriting and shameful of times in, in, ter- in terms of our political history that... You know, conventional tribal party politics has still come above what is the biggest national political crisis since World War Two, that people have lacked the political courage, the imagination, the principles and morals to see beyond that and actually think, how do we come together and work out some way to get this nation out of this appalling mess? That People do have to step up to the plate and look beyond the petty, frankly, trivial allegiances they've still displayed above, I'd say, the more pressing concern of this nation's future. If Boris Johnson is serious about a general election as his way out of this, then he's got to hope that the polls shift significantly quite quickly, because otherwise it'd be a massive gamble. The latest poll tracker has Labour on about 25%, Tories on 23%, Brexit Party on 21%, Lib Dems on 18%. Now look, polls have a three-point margin of error. All of those could be three points either way so in theory the Tories could be on 20 the Brexit party could be on 24 the Lib Dems on 21 look it's a dead heat it's a four-way dead heat and in a four-way dead heat under our first past the post electoral system anything is possible people laughed at the start of the week when Joe Swinson was elected as Lib Dem leader and said that she didn't just want to be Lib Dem leader, she would put herself up as a candidate for Prime Minister. If we go into a general election in a four-way tie, that's not necessarily an impossible outcome. It seems a lot more dangerous now, as you say, for the two big parties, a lot more uncertain. And a general election brings all sorts of hazards and, as you say, could bring an almighty mess. Look, we've had more than enough to be getting on with in the last couple of days. Let's heavens not think too much about the prospect of a general election for now, at least. In fact, let's all resolve to have a lie down in a cool, darkened room. I still haven't given up on the idea that this might all turn out to be a bad dream, like that episode of Dallas where Bobby Ewing stepped out of the shower. We'll leave it there, I think. There's more on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Party Games Pod, a full archive of past episodes too at partygamespodcast.com. For now, though, thank you to Robert. Thanks to you for listening. Goodbye.